0: Welcome to the Wesley Memorial Podcast. Join us this Sunday at 1225 Chestnut Drive in High Point. Visit us on the web at wesleymemorial.org. Now, here is this week's message. And Jeff and I are going to be preaching on mostly the Gospel of Luke in the next four or five weeks. And where we landed today was this theme of pride and humility. And these stories and teachings that Jesus has about pride and humility. And humility is very difficult because once you feel like you've achieved it, you kind of haven't, right? It's like catching smoke or something. You can't quite, you know, it's like the the more you think about yourself, the less you've achieved absolute humility. It's almost if you're watching your humility meter all the time, you're kind of doing it wrong, you know. And then you're sort of saying, look how humble I am to everybody you know. There's obviously an oxymoron there. And life has a way of sort of knocking us down sometimes, making us humble in some ways that are good, in some ways that we kind of didn't ask for. Um, It reminds me of a story I heard about a young couple who took their new baby to the doctor to get checked up on. And the doctor did what he usually does. And then he... He said, oh, your baby is beautiful. You have a very handsome baby. And the parents were proud, and they're smiling, and they said, well, thank you, but I bet you say that to all the new parents. And the doctor said, no, no, I really say that to just the parents that have really good-looking babies. And he said, so the dad said, so what do you say to the others? He, the baby looks just like you. <laughs> You know? I read that. I was like, that's, that's too good. i got to use that. <laughs> you know, but we want to be humble, but it can be hard when we live in an about me sort of culture, when we live in a culture that's built on how many likes we get and how many followers we have, our status with this or with that. I mean, even when you look at a, a group photo and you're in the photo, what's the first thing you look at? Yourself. And if you look terrible, it's a bad picture. Right? If you look fabulous, oh, well, can I have a copy of that? I like that picture. But me worship may be the one of the most growing religions in the world. It even comes into how people choose a church sometimes, as I've seen over the years. Not a lot, but sometimes people will say, well, how does this church serve me? You know, and I think you can start there, but it's good to eventually get to a place where you go, how can I serve? How can I give of myself and be a servant in the church? And I've even seen, I've done this before too, where I, I'm doing something humble, I'm serving, or I'm on a mission trip or something, and I post a picture of myself so other people see, you know, and even Jesus told us, you know, do what you do, do good deeds in private. I mean, he's very literal. He said, do them in private, and your Father in Heaven will see it and will reward you. It's a good reminder that love, as read in 1 Corinthians 13, the famous marriage chapter of the Bible, love is patient, love is kind. We forget that love does not boast. But it's hard. It's hard when we live in a culture we live in. It's all in very much a stark contrast to Jesus' example and his heart and his his willingness to be a servant. And that we experience humility, not just when we read about it in a book, or even when we hear a sermon about it, but humility is when we actually do what Jesus did, when we actually take on the mantle of a servant. And the Apostle Paul wrote about this in Philippians 2, where he paints this beautiful picture of the Son of God. He says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of yourself as as of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Or another way to phrase that is, he didn't, he didn't lord over the fact that he was a son of God. I mean, he could have, he could have snapped his fingers and the whole thing would have disappeared, but he didn't. Instead, he gave up his divine privilege. He took the humble position of a slave, and he was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. So if we're Christians and we're Christ followers, that means that we will, we will do good, and we're, we're cool without being noticed. Like, we're, we're okay with that. Because we know we do it in private, God's going to get the glory. Even over my life and my work in ministry, whenever I've sung songs in churches or led worship or preached sermons, and people come up to me and go, that was really good, that was really great. And externally, I, wanna be, I don't want to be like, well, you know, I, I want to be, you know, have good manners and go, well, thank you, I appreciate that. But inwardly, I got good advice one time many years ago. Someone said, inwardly, you give glory, glory to God. But externally, I'll say thank you, sure. But I know ultimately, it's all because of God. And I'm trying my best to do it in a servant heart, in a way that builds people up. And C.S. Lewis wrote about that. He, he said that humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's not beating yourself up. It's not flagellating yourself. That's not humility. Humility is thinking of yourself less. And then Paul even touched on that in that Philippians passage. Another way to put it is humility is not putting yourself down, but it is rather lifting others up. I read about a seminary in Kansas City, Missouri that was hiring a new professor so they put out a search team and they got uh, candidates sent in and they were going to call references and when they called the references they didn't want to they didn't talk to the supervisor of the, of the applicant. They wanted to talk to the janitor of the place where they were applying from and whatever janitor gave them the best recommendation that was who they hired. Whoever was the most humble, the most servant-hearted, rolling up their sleeves, doing what needed to be done, that's who they wanted in their seminary. And the contrast, of course, of humility, though, is pride. And we can trace pride all the way back to the Garden of Eden, all the way back to the very beginning, that when we as human beings decided that we would become the arbiters or deciders of good and evil, that we, by taking the fruit, would say to God, we don't really need you anymore. We are going to be the ones that can decide what we want to do. And so Satan didn't really lie to Adam and Eve, but he didn't tell them all the truth either. It was true, yeah, if you eat that, you're going to know the difference between good and evil. But he left out the whole dying part, and suffering, and pain, and toil. And men and women and angels had the same proclivity. We, and, and Satan tempted uh, human beings with the same thing he already fell for which is to be God, to be on the throne of your life, and not God. He tapped into that same potential that angels, a third of the angels, already fell for, and that human beings still fall for today, that we are the ones who decide what is good and evil, that we are the ones who are God and not God. Throughout the Bible, God is clear throughout many scriptures, many more than I could read today, There's a lot of strong language against pride. Proverbs 3.34 The Lord Lord mocks the mockers. Another one to phrase this is the Lord opposes the proud. But he is gracious to the humble. That He he literally opposes pride. And you see that in the life of Jesus. He's always speaking out against really religious pride. And he literally opposes the proud. Proverbs 8, all who fear the Lord will hate evil. Therefore, God speaking, I hate pride and arrogance, corruption and perverse speech. Isaiah 66, I will bless those who have humble and contrite hearts who tremble at my word. There are really two types of sin. There's the overt part, the hell-raising part, the breaking law part, the, the, for, the fornicating part, all of that stuff, you know, lying, cheating, stealing, you can go on and on, the overt things. But there's also another type. There's the religious, there's, not, there's the arrogant, prideful, elitist part of sin. Of thinking, I'm better than everybody else, and I don't have to listen to anything or anybody. And all of us have been in those places before. And the issue is not the fact that those sins exist, but it's that the lack of repentance. The lack of repentance. And Jesus in Luke 18 tells this story of this tension of these two types of sin. One shows repentance and the other doesn't. Then Jesus told the story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God. This is a prayer, by the way. I thank you, God, that I am not a sinner. Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? I hope I never do. I'm not a sinner. Lightning's going to strike me right now, like everyone else. For I don't cheat. I don't sin. And I don't commit adultery. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and give you a tenth of my income. Means boasting to God in a prayer. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God, made right before God, For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Not they might be, but they will be eventually humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. The Pharisees had given themselves to a lot of Bible study. They knew the Bible. Externally, they had it all together, religious-wise. But they trusted their interpretation more than they trusted God. Their confidence was not in God himself. Their lips said all the right things. Their life looked like all the right things. But their hearts were far from God. The proud will allow even good things like religious accomplishments to be twisted for their own vanity. This is the subtlety of pride. See, Satan loves to take things that are holy and desacralize them. He loves to take things that are good and twist them. He's not really telling a lie, but he's not telling you all the truth either. And use them against us. This is, the, this is the danger of pride when we let it seep into our lives. You see, and the good news is that God knows. The scripture tells us that God sees our hearts. He knows when we're doing all of that in the song and the dance. He sees our hearts. And that Jesus values that we actually just know him more than what we do for him. He simply wants us to know him more than what we do for him. And Jesus talked about this in Matthew 7, in a a passage I've always struggled with, to be honest with you. Because it's hard to read. But if you hear it in context of some of what I'm going to say, it's going to make sense. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On Judgment Day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. There's some good stuff listed there. Some powerful stuff. Some powerful religious stuff. But do you hear the pride in those statements? God, we did all this for you. Didn't you see it? He's, and Jesus says, I never knew you. I prize knowing you over all, everything else. Don't boast of what we can do. It's like, it's like what Paul said. I count everything I knew as the past, as a gain. No, it's all a loss. Paul was a Pharisee of the highest order. He's saying everything that, that was holy to me, it was a waste. It was rubbish apart from knowing Christ as my Lord and Savior. And like that's, that, that, that heart and that, that relationship with God should be out of that, should come everything else. And being in a place of intractable pride, I've met people in my life, some people who could not see the damage they caused all around them and they wondered why they were always the victim. And they were so prideful and arrogant and they didn't see what they were doing to everyone around them. And they were almost in, a, in their own self-imposed prison, a prison of arrogance and pride. And they wondered why they got friends, new friends every year. You know, how do you know when you're on the wrong side of humility? That's a, that's a big question. It's almost like, how do you know when you've been deceived? You don't. It's the nature of deception. I mean, aside from hell, like a, an eternal separation from God, I can think of no scarier place besides that than to be in a place of just pride, intractable pride, an unwillingness to listen. It's like a self-inflicted wound, you know. We read this story in Christmas time of Mary when she's holding in her womb the Son of God, and she sings a song called the the Magnificat. And it's this beautiful song of praise to God. And she's thanking God for this child in her womb. And then she has this phrase that she says that's really stuck with me for a few weeks. Where she says that the Lord scatters the proud in the imagination of their hearts. And I thought, what does that mean? I read that. I was like, he scatters the proud in the imagination of their hearts. She was she's saying that, that, that God will let you go in the way that you want to go. If you're going in that direction as your own little God, he will let you go. Does he want you to? No. It's, it's, it's almost like a, a marriage and a husband or a wife and, and let's say one of the other comes to, comes to their spouse and, 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 they, and they come to them and they say, you know, this marriage, it's not working. We're having problems and we really need to go to counseling or else this is not going to last. Right? And the other spouse saying, no, no, we're fine. We're going to deal with it. I'll take care of it. You see that? You see that pride? You're scattering the pride in the imagination of their heart. Just letting them go instead of being humble and saying, you know what? Maybe we should. Maybe you're right. Maybe I was the one that was wrong, right? It's hard to admit when you're wrong, and I get that. But, but that God will, will let us go in that scattering us in our pride. And if you're lost in arrogance and pride, you're not listening. You're not humble to receive something new. You're not learning. And the scariest part about people I've met like that over my life is that they don't care. I know it's kind of a hard word to hear, but I think in our world today we need to hear it. Because when God says he opposes the proud, it doesn't. he's not saying I hate you. We have to remember the context of scripture that says that, that God, God is love, God loves us. But God is opposed to when we pretend to be God ourselves. That God loves us, but he can disagree with the choices that we're making. He gives us that ability uh, to choose to be humble and to listen and to let go and surrender or to not. Because pride puts ourselves on the throne of our lives. and We don't listen anymore and we're in charge. Because if we're playing God, why should we listen to God anymore? See, God is opposed to pride because he loves you but also because it prevents you from being justified before God. Jesus told that story. He said that the man who beats his chest and says, God, forgive me, I'm a sinner. Jesus said, that person's made right with God because that's repentance. But it's hard to hear when you don't want to listen. It's hard. But it's a mercy of God that he helps us. God says, I will give you a new heart. I will give you a new spirit. I'll put my spirit within you. I will indwell you with the power of my Holy Spirit. I will make you a new creation in Christ. I will take your heart of stone, of intractable pride, and I will give you a new heart. But what does God want us to listen to? What does God want us to hear? I was reading a story of the pastor, Matt Chandler, our Wednesday night men's Bible studies reading through Philippians, and we're hearing a bit of Matt. And Matt tells the story of his four-year-old daughter. And he's putting her to bed one night. And of course, I listen immediately because I have a four-year-old daughter. And he said, I'm so petrified to raise a child right now, uh, especially a young woman, because I want her foundation to be... In God, and I want her to know with all these things pulling for her affections and, and, and warring for her, and, and I got to fight for her as, my, as, as her father. And, and he said, I, 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 I've got to let her know why I love her. I've got to tell my four year old daughter why I love her. So he said, I put her, I was tucking her into bed, and I, I looked her in her beautiful little face, and I said to her, Do you know why daddy loves you? And he said, I could see the gears turning behind her eyes. And her eyes were searching and she's thinking, I don't want to let my daddy down. I don't want to say the wrong thing. And, and he's, he, can, he can see it turning and she doesn't know what to say. And he's, he says to her, I love you because you're mine. I love you because you're mine. Not because of what you do or you don't do, but because you're mine. And of course, I went home that night and put my daughter to bed. And I looked in her sweet little face and I said, do you know why Daddy loves you? Because you're mine. And she she didn't have an answer either. She just stared at me. (laughs) Because I want her to know that there's a foundation there. That no matter what's going to happen, nothing will ever change that. And I think when God is saying humility and pride, and I'm opposed to your pride, He's saying, I just want you to hear me. That you're mine. Do you know that you are His And that he wants you you to know him. Because God in his mercy will show us how bad our spiritual form can be. He will show us our pride in his mercy. And that is such a good thing. But do you know him? Are we listening? Are we willing? It's the spirit can lead that and change us. And make us a humble people that are receptive to be a servant there are really two types of people that in this context of this story one is this of someone saying, I, I don't feel worthy I don't, I don't feel worthy and I put any more because there's, there's really someone like the, the tax collector who says, I don't feel worthy and Jesus says, that person is justified before God and I, and I put any more because I think there are Christians out there who feel like I'm not worthy anymore I'm burned out, I'm tired I'm hurt I don't feel like I'm good enough for God. I don't feel worthy anymore. And here's the good news for me and you. We were never worthy. I was never worthy. And neither were you. God takes people with broken paths and uses them for his glory all the time. Look at David, King David. Murderer, adulterer. Moses, murderer. Rahab prostitute you can go on and on and on in scripture and God uses all of these people who said I'm not worthy and God says yes you are I will make you worthy because you are humble I will lift you up in honor James 4 10 humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor it's the people that feel unworthy that God can use the most That in your brokenness, he will show his strength. In your weakness, he will show your power. That's why when Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, we are just jars of clay. I'm just a jar of dirt through which the the power of God can be shown. But God can only work through that humility, that surrender, that having a heart of a servant. That's the first kind of person. The second is this. I've always been worthy. It's It's my world. You just live in it. Sorry. (laughs) Which of these two types of people is going to hear God say, you are mine? Which of them is going to hear? It's a rhetorical question, of course. Because God is speaking, and he's saying, you're mine. But will you let me in? Jesus says in Revelation 3.20, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone will open that door and let me in, I will come in and we will be one. You see, there's only one who is worthy. And it's Jesus. Near the end of Revelation, John paints this epic cosmic picture of these scrolls being opened or or seals being broken and there's one more seal to be broken. And it said everyone was looking for someone who was worthy to open it angels and men and seraphim and all these angelic creatures and no one was worthy. And everyone wailed and cried out, who is worthy to bear our sins and open this scroll? And it was the Lamb of God who could do it. Only Jesus is worthy. And God says, I will take the low valley and rise it up and I will bring the mountain down I will take the lofty from their thrones and bring them down and I will raise up the humble. When Jesus was teaching about a Pharisee in that story. We forget that some of these Pharisees actually came to faith. They really get a bad, bad rap in the Bible sometimes. There was one named Nicodemus. Nicodemus see- seeks out Jesus in the middle of the night and he comes and meets with him in secret because he doesn't want his buddies to find out what he's doing. And he asked Jesus all these questions. And he's curious. He was, in, he was enraptured by him. And they had this long conversation. But, but basically, Jesus says, In order for you to know the kingdom, Nicodemus, you have to be born again. And Nicodemus says, What do you mean? I can't do that. I can't go back in my mom's womb and be born. And Jesus says, You're a teacher of the religious law, and you don't get this? The wind blows wherever it wants to. The Spirit of God can move at any time it wants to. And when you're given a new nature, you can become, be born new. God will essentially give you a new heart, a new spirit, a new creation in Christ. This is the good news of the gospel that has changed lives for over 2,000 years. Billions of people have encountered this experience of the Holy Spirit of being born anew. By the mercy and grace of God. God says, I will take your prideful heart and I will give you a humble heart. A heart like mine. So as we go into this song, let us pray together. God, we thank you that you do give us more than we deserve. God, that you do take our hearts of stone and make them into hearts that feel again and I pray God for everyone here today that they would know there is no judgment that we're all unworthy we're all uncool and it's by your grace that you make us cool you make us worthy God as we go into this time and the rest of our lives help us see that this moment is all that we got and that you say that You want to give us a new heart and a new spirit. And we can receive that by faith. We can simply say to you, God, God, I'm a sinner. I have broken your law and I'm sorry. And your word, which is perfect, says that we are justified in the sight of God when we do that. If we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we shall be saved. God, we thank you for that. Thank you for forgiving our stubbornness and our arrogance and our pride. Thank you that you forgive us for the ways that we judge people unfairly. We look down on others. God, give us hearts of being a servant. A heart like yours.